Welcome to 94.7 The Pulse. We have on the phone, some people call him the space cowboy, some call him the gangster of love, some people even call him Maurice. We call him Steve Miller from the Steve Miller Band. Good afternoon and welcome to 94.7 The Pulse, Steve. Well, hi everybody and uh, hi Brett, how are you man? And it's a pleasure to be with you. It is our absolute pleasure to have you on the phone. Whereabouts are you calling from, Steve? Well, I'm sitting in Sun Valley, Idaho right now to this evening, and uh, it's way up in the Rocky Mountains, about 6,000 feet up and about three feet of snow on the ground, and uh, I'm just uh, writing some songs, doing old, some vocal overdubs, and getting ready to head down to Austin, Texas, and then to New Zealand, and then to see you guys. Mate, it's going to be absolutely fantastic. Now you're playing uh, at Daniliquin on, uh, is it uh, Saturday the 30th and the Sunday the 31st of March? Down here? I believe that's correct. You know, I, I, you guys, have got, I hope you've got the dates right yeah. in front of you. <laughs> Don't. Mate, I'm sure someone will tell you, uh, they'll just say, Steve, get on a plane and uh, get over <laughs> there, will you? Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's a lot of dates. There's uh, 60 dates in this tour. And... Um, I have a tendency to kind of, uh, I uh, agree to do them and I work on the, the layout and, you know, the the order that, that we play of and everything. And then I just sort of blank out on all the technical, you know, the, all the all the travel details and everything. And they put that all in a book at the last minute and give it to us. <laughs> I know I'm leaving on the 12th, you know, <laughs> that's what I know. And I'm, I know I have to go to Los Angeles, I'm going to get a flight, and it's a 17-hour flight, I guess, to New Zealand, and then we'll play a few gigs there, and then we'll fly uh, to Australia, and we'll start our, our round there. So, Steve, when you're on a, on a large tour like this, is it difficult to sort of keep up where you're at? And when you're addressing the audience, do you sometimes need to pause for a second just to make sure you're going to say the right place? Hello, Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. When when I watch Spinal Tap. I oh, I love that movie. Laugh so hard because everything everything that ever happened in that movie has happened, happened to in you? the '60s. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, I got lost up, uh, underneath the stage of, uh, at the Rainbow Theater in London. It was like a 250-year-old theater that had like you know tunnels underneath the stage and stuff. <laughs> Oh, just around the corner and up those two steps, and then there's a little trap door, and you open that, and then you go, and the next thing I knew, I was totally lost. So I, you know, generally know where I am 99 and 9 tenths percent of the time, and I can only think of a few times in uh, the 50 years I've been touring where I've woke up and gone, where am I? <laughs> Wait, what city am I in? Usually I, you know, by the time I'm there, within a couple of days, I know where I'm going, you know, that's pretty much the way it works. But to try and memorize all of the details and stuff. So why don't you guys tell me about the gigs I'm going to play? You know more about it than I do. Where am I playing and what am I doing? Mate, you need to be in uh, in Daniliquin, uh, which is a little country town in uh, northern, just, uh, southern just New South Wales. Just near the border. Wales. Yeah, just near the border of New South Wales and Victoria, which you probably never even seen or heard of uh on saturday the 30th I've been in both places yes saturday yeah. the 30th and sunday the 31st of march and you're also mm -hmm. up at the blue run the blue run the byron bay blues fest uh which is on the 20th so uh, both both of these these are the festival dates yeah mate. yes they are yeah ah so charlie musclewhite's gonna be there and maybe zz top and a whole bunch of great players and oh yeah i'm all excited about those gigs great okay thanks for 
straighten me out. Yep. Yeah, mate. The uh, the d- uh, that's that. That's the exciting part, the part that I'm, I'm really looking forward to. These are beautiful festivals, I and mean, just the lineups look amazing to me. Are they good? Are they good venues? Do you the, like going out there and, and seeing shows there? The Byron Bay Music Festival. It's in its 24th year. Uh, it's amazing. Um, uh, you're going to have Santana are going to be there. Paul Simon, uh, Status Quo, Ben Harper, um, Chris Isaac, Jimmy Cliff. Yay! Uh, yeah. And. Yeah, it's going to be, and then you've got it, uh, Daniliquin, you've got all those guys, um, some bloke from the Steve Miller band, I don't know if you know him or not, uh, Bonnie Raitt, <laughs> and uh, Tony Joe White, and Jimmy Cliff, so it's going to be going off, man. Steve, when you, uh, there you go. Steve, when you play festivals, do you, once you've sort of done, done your set, do you get off and have a stroll around and watch everybody else? Oh yeah, and and generally we you know we know people uh, who are playing. You know we usually invite them to come over and jam with us in our show, and hopefully there's little tents backstage. And you know it's such a rare opportunity to get together with a whole bunch of people. Now a lot of people just come and do their show, and then whoosh, they're gone. You know they're uh, it's understandable they're busy. You know, and if we if we have to you know travel 600 miles right after our show we're gone too you know but if we get there early usually there's time to to get around and say hello and i mean i think taj is going to be there and i know you know a lot of my friends uh, personal friends are, are there so it's going to be uh easy to get in touch if we're all there at the same time you know that's how it, how it works but i'm always open to saying hello and inviting um, you know people I admire and who are inspirational players you know to come and play with us that's one of the great things about a festival is you have you can do that you have a little more leeway mate is it as much fun for you now as it was when you first started out you know it's more fun because I'm getting to fly around in a little private jet and I don't have to like drive in a van all night like I did when I was 20 years old (laughs) (laughs) You know, all of my life, I've wanted to be a musician. That's that. That was my goal—not to be a pop star or a celebrity or any of that. But I wanted to be a musician. I wanted to have a working band, and I wanted to entertain and play live music all the time. And so that's basically my goal. That's what that's what keeps me healthy and happy. I love what I do. Um, working on a bunch of new music right now. Uh, we've added a bunch of new things to our set. We're always changing our set. And, you know, we have 14 greatest hits that our fans really love, and they're disappointed if we don't play those. And you know what? It's really fun to play those songs for an, an audience, especially tunes like The Joker and Fly Like an Eagle, which have room to be, you know, for spontaneous performance and solos and things can happen. And, you know, there's a lot of energy in the, in the material. And um, as long as we have, we have enough time to add extra tunes and, and have new challenges for ourselves, we really enjoy what we do. And that's what we always do, so that's the way it is, you know. I'm learning, you know, I'm learning new tunes and we've got to remember new lyrics and, you know, there's always a little challenge that keeps you going so it's not just like, eh, okay, I'm going to go out there and do those 14 greatest hits and then uh, let's go have dinner, this will be great. It's never been like that. You know, I'm always um, 
looking to play better guitar, have the band sound better, have a better set, a better light show, better experience for our audience, whatever it is. And then we do all this work to create this situation where the sound is really good, the lights are really good, the material selected has been good, the players are all tuned up and everything's ready to go, and then magical things happen, you know, and that's kind of what a gig is, you know, something magical can happen if everybody's on their on their game, and that's the fun of it, and to be... Um, able to to still be growing and still enjoying it and getting better instead of you know having people say well that's it you're 38 years old now you can't play any more football you're done <laughs> you're just an old man you know in music your life experience keeps adding to what you play and the tone you use and the way you sing a song or the way you play a song or play a piece of music for an audience and it just gets better and better and so far no physical limitations you know it's just great um what out of your very 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 broad career what would be your number one highlight what is the thing that you constantly look back to and it's it makes you like smile. Speaking to you, of course. I was going to say, <laughs> speaking to us, they would have to be the highlight of your career so far, mate. This is this right now. This is the best thing that's happened to me today. <laughs> <laughs> I usually do brighten people's days. You do. I bet you do. You know, and honestly, I, I, you know, um, there's been. Um, um, a, a lot of uh, big, important things have happened in magical performances and and things like that. And, and it's kind of odd. You, they kind of go through, they stay with you for a little while, but there's always this next challenge. And so you move forward and you don't really dwell on it. I mean, I can, I can remember one night where I was just jamming with some friends at a music camp in the woods. And it was kind of foggy, and Mickey Hart was playing all his weird percussion instruments. Mickey's from the Grateful Dead, and we had, you know, Steve Rogers was playing drums. There were a lot of really great players, and out of the fog playing alto was John Handy came walking into the camp and started playing, and that was just, you know, like unbelievable, you know, and it had nothing to do with selling tickets or having 100,000 people watch you prance around the stage singing the Joker, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a great musical moment, and then there have been really moving things that have happened, great performances, guests who've come who've played beautifully, nights where, you know, you just had everything working your way and the sound was great and you know your guitar sounded great and you're playing great those those are the moments that really really are the are the most important steve you've got i've read in uh, now we just uh, wikipedia you before so um you know we're going off uh, what what it's what it says there about 450 guitars you own well you know i have to read that wikipedia thing yeah i've um what I did was about 1990. I, you know, I had, I had a bunch of guitars. I mean, you know, I've been um, I got my first guitar when I was five, and I still have it. You know, and um, my collection was growing, and um, I sort of was thinking about investing in instruments or in investing in something that I knew about. And as I, the more I looked at it, the more I went, well, you know, I do know about guitars, and I know a lot of great guitar makers, and um, if I can, you know, invest my money in instruments and make 20 or 30% on it, that's 
hipper than you know having some stockbroker call you up going hey you yeah. sell this and buy that sell this and buy that sell this and buy that sorry you know yeah. <laughs> whatever and and so i thought about it i did a little research i talked to some people i went through all this stuff and basically the consensus was like you know you would probably do very well to invest in instruments mr miller and i had some extra dough and i i met uh, james diaquisto who's just the was one of the greatest guitar makers of all time and uh, became friends with him and he made me seven instruments and all of a sudden i had this you know the the go to you know it was all right to go buy guitars so as i would tour around it, when i had time off i'd go see somebody who had a collection or i'd go to a pawn shop or i'd go and you know it's amazing you know how many people collect guitars now i mean there are lots and lots of guitar collections you can still walk into a pawn shop in yakima washington or something and you might find some really wonderful beautiful instrument you never know so that became uh, a lot of fun for me as i traveled and my collection did grow to about 450 it's down to about 350 now and I'm going to sell most of it in the next five years and uh, uh, just uh, boil it down to just the instruments that I really want to play on that. I'm going to turn 70 this year. I've had these instruments for a long time. They're all out and, and being played and looked at. I, I mean, not, obviously you can't play all of them all the time, but they all get rotated and played and looked at and used. And uh, I've had a lot of fun with them. Now it's time to... Uh, reap the benefits of uh, you know having some of them built and finding some of them and selling them at auction and you know probably do something really great with my music foundation you know but uh it's you know once i gave myself permission it was pretty hard to stop <laughs> oh it's, it's a little bit addictive isn't it yeah yeah Steve? Yeah, it is. It's it's like, you know, you see people who collect teddy bears. You see people who <laughs> collect, you know, you know, goofy dishes. You see people who collect diamonds or watches or whatever. I, I got hooked on collecting guitars. And um, it's 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 really been an education. I've learned a lot, I've, and I've worked with a lot of great luthiers. I've had some really good guitars built. Last time I was in Australia, I bought a local guitar. That was really a great guitar, and uh, unfortunately, I went uh, on the way home. I stopped in Fiji and hung out with some natives for three weeks, and, and they were such delightful, wonderful people and such great musicians. I gave them everything I had, all my guitars, my tape recorder, all my guitar strings, my harmonicas, you know, the whole deal. <laughs> well, but they would have just loved that, wouldn't they? Oh, it was it was so cool. I mean, it was an amazing vacation. It really was. And and I, I just met some really great folks, and, and they were all musicians, and I knew when I got to Fiji, I knew how musical the Fijians are, and I thought, you know, I bet those guys, and I was going to a real far out island, and um, it was like a little tiny island, a little chain of islands off the main drag, you know, a couple hundred miles away from the main islands. And uh, I ended up out there, and, and so I brought a duffel bag of T-shirts and hats. I brought about 100 packs of guitar strings, about 25 harmonicas. I had a little mini disc recorder and a really good stereo mic. I had uh, uh, the acoustic guitar I picked up in Sydney on my way out. 
I had uh, another acoustic guitar head with me and um, just a bunch of CDs and stuff. And when I got there, I, I, I ended up playing music with natives every night. And they were so musical. And what was really great was they had all heard of the Space Cowboy, which just cracked me up. So they knew about the song The Space Cowboy, and they were very impressed that that I was the guy who wrote Space Cowboy, and we became music friends, and we played a lot of music, did a lot of singing, a lot of harmony singing, and I just left all my stuff there with them because they needed it, and I could just go get another duffel bag full of it as soon as I got back to Los Angeles, you know? <laughs> so that was, that was really... A, now, you know, you were talking about great experiences. That was a great experience. It's so cool that you've got things like that to to look back on like a lot of people we all have good memories but that is sure. super grouse um steve speaking of inspirations and guitars and everything that's outrageously musically cool um i i've found that les paul um he was sort of the one who encouraged your parents to sort of keep going with you with music and saying that perhaps one day you'll you'll be something is that true well you know les paul was a, a, a really good friend of my father's and my mother's and uh, they became friends when les and mary were putting their act together in milwaukee wisconsin where i lived when i was five years old and my dad went over and recorded Les on a professional recorder while they were playing in this club. And they were, they were just using this little club in this little out-of-way town in Milwaukee in the center of the country to just put their act together. And then they went to New York and did this national television show. So they were playing and jamming every night, and my dad took me every night, and I saw how much fun it was. But I grew up in a very musical family. My mother was a jazz singer, a really, really good singer, and her brothers were all musicians, and one of my uncles was in the Paul Whiteman Orchestra, so that was a big national orchestra. And they all, when the Depression came, they all stopped touring, and they all went to medical school and became doctors. So they were real interesting people. My dad was a doctor. He loved music. My uncles were doctors. They were musicians. We had... Tal Farlow, Les Paul, Red Norville, Charles Mingus, people like that were coming over to the house all the time. And uh, later when we moved to Texas, it was T-Bone Walker and Freddie King and Lightning Hopkins and a lot of great jazz players, James Moody, uh, just beautiful players, you know. And so Les didn't really uh, talk my parents into getting me to play music but he did encourage me and if you've ever heard that little recording of him talking to me when i was five saying oh yeah you know i was telling him i was embarrassed when i heard my voice on tape <laughs> saying, don't be embarrassed we all feel that way and you know you're gonna go places someday you're gonna be really great you know and i you know I, he was my godfather so i he inspired me all my life I never thought I was going to be a real professional musician that I would ever be able to. You know, I was a middle-class kid going to a middle-class university where, you know, everybody's goal was go get a good job and go to work, you know, and, you know, stop hanging around in that nightclub playing guitar. You know, you've, you've grown up now. You know? <laughs> when are you going to get a real job? I didn't really... Yeah, I mean, I didn't really realize until 
you know, my last year of university work, um, that, hey, you know, I think I could actually get a recording contract. Things changed. I never considered myself as like an entertainer, like like entertainers were in the 50s. You know, that that wasn't something. I was just a musician. And I was playing in a band, you know, all through high school and all through college. And then I went to Chicago and hung out with Muddy and Howlin' Wolf and people like that and saw adults playing adult music for real. That was great. And then, um, you know, I went out to San Francisco and I was able to get a record contract. And that's when I kind of went like, okay, then I guess I'm not going to get a doctor's degree in literature and teach creative writing in college. I'm a musician. That's what I'm, I am. And I'm not going to do anything but that. And I'd been playing all the time I was going to school. I mean, I played every weekend, every Friday and Saturday night from the time I was 12 years old till I, you know, finished the university work. So, it was a, a natural thing, and, and the guy who really kind of made me realize I could get a record contract and maybe do this, you know, actually write songs and do stuff like that, was Paul Butterfield, because he got a record contract, and he was playing blues in Chicago, and I saw him in Chicago and went, I can do that, <laughs> you know, hey, you can get a record contract for that, hey, count me in, where, where do you go, and that's when I started really, you know, looking at the scene, and by the time I got to San Francisco, where that scene was just really starting, it was a different kind of scene than Chicago. Chicago was a musical scene. San Francisco was a social phenomena. And so you had this thing where you were hooking up really great musicians with people who were like rock stars or celebrities or characters and had other things going on. There was a lot of social phenomena around the Grateful Dead and around, you know, the Jefferson Airplane and uh, uh, going there. There were a lot more bands. There were a lot more concerts. I think I played at the Fillmore 109 times. Um, you know, I was a very central part of that scene. And mainly because of my musical ability, I could back up Chuck Berry. I could do a show with B.B. King, and it would be a good show. It wouldn't be like, you know, some kids playing electric guitar who didn't really know how to do much playing with B.B. King. You know, it would be, it would be, you know, musicianship was was what was carrying me through the San Francisco scene, not so much the social part of it. But both things were combined, and so you'd have like kind of really famous, not very good musical bands. And then all of a sudden, Jimi Hendrix showed up, Eric Clapton and the Cream showed up, and, you know, bands like The Who started looking kind of silly musically compared to, say, Jimi Hendrix. You know, one was kind of pop social commentary, and the other one was, like, really great music. And, you know, and then The Who, of course, went on to combine both, you know, and write really great music and a social phenomenon and that sort of it all sort of melted together and, and you know the next thing you knew we were like doing shows in arenas and then football stadiums and we developed this whole new way of doing concerts you know which is now a normal thing you know now it's not a big deal to go to for 60,000 people to go someplace and for there to be this magnificently huge beautiful sounding PA system and plenty of you know food and water and toilets and parking and blah, 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 blah. It's a real normal thing. Back then, it was like, you know, this weird, new, strange thing that was happening. You know, if you went to play at the 
the local football stadium and covered the field with people and then filled the stadium, you'd have 80,000 people at a show. And that was big news back then. That was just like, this is the second largest city in the state. <laughs> yeah. Kind of talk. Do you still... And, and so it, it was fun, man. It was really, really, really new and brand new. You know, it was cool. Do you like playing uh, smaller venues or like these days? Is it more intimate for you than, than playing to like 100,000 people? I like playing any venue that sounds good. And, I'm, you know, our band is, we're masters at playing to 100,000 people. I mean, that's really fun when we do that. That's a really cool thing. But we're also really, really good at an intimate show in a theater. And so I like them both. You know, the only kind of concerts I don't like is if it's like bad production or if the audience isn't comfortable in being treated well. And every now and then you end up and you're on a stage and you, t you look out there and you kind of go, ooh, uh, you know, doggone it. <laughs> you know, who put this one together? But, you know, 99% of them now are all just great gigs. And we do lots of different kind of gigs. We go from huge outdoor things to intimate theaters. And the smallest we do is like theaters, you know. And um, I love to do a theater run because... It, there's a certain kind of freedom of, of, that you get in a small, intimate place. The sound is very present and very real. And I like doing the big, 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 huge outdoors because the sound system's bigger and it's a different kind of performance. It's a, it's a, a massively big, you know, it's what I like to call the big E chord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the one that's 200 yards wide and 100 feet tall, uh, that sound. And that's fun to do too, man. You know, that's great. Steve, um, you've been entertaining and writing music and performing for twice as long as I've been alive. Um, <laughs> through that time, as music has changed and things have progressed and different styles have been popular at different times, have you ever had to change the way you write and your performances to fit in and, and keep, keep going? No, you know, I mean, I've 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 learned things, I've heard new things that have influenced me, but I've always pretty much followed my own muse. I'm I'm not really good at going like, hey, uh, everybody's doing this now, we've got to do that too. We've never, you know, our audience has never really asked us to do that. We've always had a really good audience, and I'm still playing a lot of songs that I was playing 40 years ago. I'm playing a lot of songs that I wasn't playing, and, you know, our show is a combination of new material and the greatest hits, and there's usually about seven to nine pieces of music that our audience hasn't heard us play, or uh, they're not our greatest hits. You know, we know that, you know, I know that when I go to play, everybody wants to hear us play the Joker. I want to hear us play the Joker. It's a great song. It's fun, you know. And we we have those those tunes that the audience really loves, so we have a a pretty big schmooch fest with the audience over that material and then we like slip in a lot of things we always want i always want my audience to leave going wow i didn't know he did that or i didn't know he could do that or well you know i didn't know that about muddy waters or what something or i learned something today that i wasn't expecting you know and that's what always we've always approached it as the most important thing we do is that our audience have this really good time it's never been a thing like, 
you know, where, well, I've decided I'm not singing anything now this time. I'm just playing everything instrumentally in a kind of Indian raga kind of way, and it's real loud, so I hope you dig it. We don't, we, believe me, you know, I have seen artists do that. I saw Carlos just piss off 19,000 people so bad when he was in his diva dip period, you know, and he he came out and it was all instrumental and everybody was, you know, he was like on this sort of religious inspirational period of his life and everybody was going, sing Black Magic Woman, dude! <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we, we, I mean, you know, you learn those lessons and, and I, I've always felt a real responsibility to my audience, you know, I, I, I go to a lot of shows and when I, I always love it when I go to a show and an artist really gives me those things I really love that they do and, and they play them with, uh, you know, energy and, and enthusiasm and have something new I haven't heard them do or maybe do something that just blows my mind that I didn't know about. And, you know, so I, that's, that's my goal whenever I go to play. Now, Steve, Beth just come yeah, back I don't, from... I don't, I, sorry, but Beth just come back from the States and she went on a pilgrimage over there, because she is an Alice Cooper devotee, uh, she went to Phoenix mm-hmm. just to hang out and see, you know, see if the great man was there. And then she went to a heap of other places. You've probably actually played at. So uh, yeah. she she was uh, she went to the Rainbow. I went to the Rainbow Room. I um I went to the Whiskey A Go Go, the Troubadour, and the Roxy. Oh yeah, sure, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> you went to all the clubs, yeah. I did. I was absolutely <laughs> in awe. Ballroom? Pardon? Yeah. Did you get to the Fillmore in San Francisco or the Avalon Ballroom, the Family Dog, or uh, the Cafe Agogo in New York? Or, uh, I didn't I didn't go to the East Coast. I stayed mostly on the West Coast. Um, I didn't see a whole lot of music sort of things in San Fran mostly um, it was in LA and I when I was in Phoenix I went there specifically to go to uh, the musical instrument museum and to Alice Cooper's town yeah well Alice is a is a, is a great guy I, I'll tell you you want to hear a story about uh, Alice Cooper I absolutely 19, would love to in 1968 I think I was uh, playing a show with the Iron Butterfly. They were headlining. We were second build, and Alice Cooper was the unknown opening act. Nobody knew anything about Alice at all. And we were playing in Minneapolis at the Armory. Sold out show, about 6,000 kids. And we're backstage, and Alice and the guys in the band come out, and he was wearing, like, a pus green suit with, like, seashells sort of sewn all over it and had on makeup, and he probably weighed 112 pounds. And uh, he was the nicest guy. He was just, we just talked, and he was just so cool, and, and he was really great. And, okay, now it's time for the show to start, you know. And he goes out on the stage. He was on the stage for 30 seconds, and he had pissed off all 6,000 people at that hall. I'd never seen anything like it happen in my life. Everybody was ready to have a seizure. They were just red-faced and spittle and coming out of their mouth, and they were just going, what is this? <laughs> and I looked at him and went, wow, 
I've never seen anybody except a wrestler, you know, the yeah. evil wrestler at professional wrestling, you know, draw this kind of reaction. I mean, who are these guys? So they went up and they did their show, and uh, the audience just were seething. They just hated it. And he came off the stage, and he was just sweet as he could be. And then I went up to play, and there was chicken feathers and uh, <laughs> shaving cream all over the stage floor and on my amp and on the mic stand, and it was just terrible. You know, they had he had, like, torn up some pillows and, you know, done just all this bad stuff nobody had ever seen anybody do before. You know? <laughs> He's the bad boy of rock. And uh, it was just all over the stage, and I called my agent. I said, hey, don't book me with that guy. I mean, you know, there's, come on, there's shaving cream all over everything. What is this, you know? And nobody really, really was ready for Alice. Now, I had dinner with Alice, oh, I guess it was about 18 months ago. We were in Arizona, and he came out to our show, and we hung out. And we had a, had a great time with him, and then we went to see his show, which was great. And, and the guy who designs Alice's shows also designs my stage sets. Uh, we use a, a guy named Rob Roth, who's in New York, who's actually the, the director of Beauty and the Beast and has a company that does Broadway shows, and he's a really, really good friend of Alice's and mine. So we see each other a lot, and both of us think Rob is just the greatest stage designer. He loves rock and roll, and he does great stage designs. And I just saw Alice do his show, and it was fantastic. He's just great, and he's healthy and happy. And, you know, he went through a lot and um, came out okay. And, uh, I, I, you know, it's kind of funny. So here we are 40 years later, right, and we're still pals. And uh, he's, uh, he's one of the artists who's endured and lasted. And what he did that no one had ever seen before was so original really became a, a new form of theater rock, you know. And um, he's been phenomenal. He's made a lot of great records, and, and his show is unbelievable. As as yours will be, Steve, I'm sure. Now, the uh, the set you're doing uh, at the at the festivals and that, you're also doing other gigs around uh, as well, playing other venues? Yep, we're doing a bunch of shows. Carlos Santana and I are going to... Uh, uh, run around uh, the country, and we're doing a bunch of arenas together, and that'll be that'll be a lot of fun too. That'll be a good thing, mate. If uh, what are you coming down to Melbourne at all? Do you know? I think we are. I, I, I I'm pretty sure we are. You know, you uh, yeah. Of course, we we have to be. We wouldn't come over there and not play Melbourne. Come on. Well, uh, I'm going to have to uh, get hold of uh, someone in your organisation to make sure I get along to the show. That would be absolute well, love. No, what, what, one of us probably like. Let's see here. Maybe I can turn my computer on and, and go to my website and see what I'm doing. <laughs> Steve, we got told we had 30 minutes of you. We've we've got 37 at the moment, mate. I'm happy to keep talking to you because it's it's Beth and I just sitting here going, this is absolutely sensational. So if you want to uh, keep keep going, mate, we're more than happy. I've got to. No, uh, you know, I, I, I have to go because I yeah. have some other interviews that I'm That's doing. all right. And I, I don't want to put everybody behind. So No, no, that's cool, mate. That's I cool. I enjoyed our conversation very much, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, coming to play. I mean, this is going to be a very juicy little three-week run for us and starts, and uh, we leave here on the 12th, and... Um, 
hopefully, I think we get back home on April 3rd or something like that. So it's you know, about three weeks, something like that, and it's really going to be a lot of fun. And the festivals are going to be great. And the shows with Carlos will be, you know, uh, great fun and two really great bands together. And wow, you know, the festivals, the lineups you just read off, I mean, those are really, really, really great. You know, it's going to be a lot of good music. So we're all going to have a good time, and I'll see you guys in a minute. Steve, it's been my mine and Beth's absolute privilege, privilege and pleasure to talk to you. You've been an absolute gem and a mate, one of the I think the the the, uh, the easiest person to talk to on an interview I think I've ever done. So thank you very much for your time. And uh, you've, you've been brilliant yourself, and and you know uh, so long to both of you, and thanks for the help. You know for helping us uh, let everybody know we're coming and. Um, Hope your radio show's great, and I hope I'll meet you at the shows. I will uh, definitely... Uh, we'll be making a point of it. Yeah. Great. All right, then. I'll see you, I'll see you backstage, and, and um, hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll be able to get some really good jamming and some have a lot of fun. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be really fun, so we're looking forward to it. I can tell you we're very excited, and we're going we're gonna to play our hearts out, so we'll see you there. Steve Miller, thank you very much for being on 94.7 The Pulse. Cheers. You guys take care. Peace, love, and happiness. So long. Thanks, mate. Bye-bye.